are listening to the Savvy Black Birther Podcast, the show that brings you all things Black birth, where listeners are educated, uplifted, and empowered into action. With your host, Takiya Sakina Ballard, licensed midwife. Hey, Savvy family, welcome back to another episode of the Savvy Black Birther podcast. I am so excited that you returned to listen to another episode. And this episode is a very important one. We are going to talk about infertility and pregnancy loss in the black community. Now, this is a taboo topic and often one that is a secret amongst families, but we're going to talk about some things today and hopefully bust down those walls and those barriers to secrecy and allow this topic to be something that we discuss for our edification and our education. Now, before I bring my featured guests, I want to talk a little bit about Uh, give you guys some background information, if you will, about infertility and pregnancy loss. And the reason why I want to do this is because I really think it's important that you have some foundational information. This will allow you to listen in more intensively and to understand what is being said. Sometimes I find that many types of words, especially medical jargon, may be missed or misunderstood by some. And so it's important to make sure that you have a full understanding when you're listening. So let's review some of the infertility types and pregnancy loss types. First, when we're looking at infertility, there's two types, primary and secondary. Primary infertility refers to couples or an individual who's not been able to become pregnant after at least one year of having sex without birth control methods or with at least one year of insemination without the use of birth control methods. Now, secondary infertility refers to when a couple has been able to become pregnant at one point or individual has been pregnant at one point, at least once in their lifetime, but now they are unable or the individual is unable after having sex or having um, an insemination done. Now, infertility can be a concern for all humans. So those who identify with a gender, those with, uh, who do not conform to gender identities, um, nonetheless, no matter who you are as a human being, you can be affected by infertility. Now, let's talk about pregnancy loss types. There are very many pregnancy loss types, and some of which have not been really categorized as a pregnancy loss, and they need to be. First is early miscarriage. Early miscarriage happens in the very early weeks of pregnancy. Oftentimes it's missed because it's thought that it was just a late period or perhaps a false positive pregnancy test or a weekly positive pregnancy test. And it sometimes is an issue of the question, was I pregnant in the first place? Um, But it's usually followed by a heavy uh, menses or a heavy bleed. So that's an early miscarriage. Um, There are many reasons why that could happen. Most oftenly it's thought that it's a chromosomal disorder or a chromosomal mismatching that happens on the cellular level. The next type of pregnancy is ectopic pregnancy. Now this is a pregnancy that occurs outside of the gestational womb. 
Now, this pregnancy can occur in the fallopian tubes. It can occur in the cervix. It can also occur outside of the reproductive unit um, near the liver, near intestines. And now this is very rare, but can occur. And mostly when it does occur, it does occur in the fallopian tubes. Nonetheless, usually a pregnancy cannot advance past a certain stage. And so this may end up in a loss. Then there's the first and second trimester pregnancy loss or miscarriage. The first trimester miscarriage usually happens before 12 weeks. This is where we usually see social constructs in place. Now, this is the most common miscarriage type. And so we see that individuals have formed social norms around pregnancy, that we keep our pregnancies quiet or we don't allow others to know outside of our intimate circle that we're pregnant until we've reached past that 12 weeks. Because again, miscarriage in the first trimester is usually more common than miscarriage in a second trimester. Second trimester pregnancy loss occurs after 12 weeks, but before 20 weeks. Now, the, usually this is the least common of the miscarriages. However, it still usually ends in a pregnancy loss because of the gestational age of the growing fetus. They usually cannot survive at some, such young ages outside of the womb. Next, we're gonna talk about preterm delivery. Now, this is the birth of a baby that's after 20 weeks gestation, but before 37 completed weeks. This infant is now, or this child is now um, at risk for complications related to preterm delivery. Um, and so their recovery after birth may be challenging and, and many times will end in their loss or the loss of that baby. Stillbirth happens when a baby is growing in the womb and passes away um, prior to its time for delivery. This usually ends in the birthing person having to actually birth this baby. Neonatal infant loss happens when an individual delivers their baby, a live baby, and within that first year of life, that baby does not make it. And so this is another type of loss. Lastly, termination of pregnancy, which is often not categorized in pregnancy loss types because of the social stigmas centered around this topic. And so we see that individuals may say, well, these other pregnancy losses were for uh, pregnancies that were wanted, but a person who has an abortion uh, actually caused the abortion. And so therefore it's not clumped together as pregnancy loss. But nonetheless, we are noticing and we're realizing that individuals who have had abortions or who are currently looking to have an abortion still suffer with loss. So I hope that this information was uh, just that information and good sound information to give you a beginning knowledge of what infertility is and what pregnancy loss is. Now that you guys are well informed, let me go ahead and introduce our featured guest. Erica McAfee is the founder and CEO of Sisters in Loss, a maternal child health company that helps Black women replace silence with storytelling around pregnancy and infant loss and infertility. Sisters in Loss provides pregnancy, birth, postpartum bereavement, 
and grief services to help women step beyond anxiety and fear and into trust and peace after loss. Its self-titled podcast spotlights resilient Black mothers who share intimate details of their journey to motherhood through painful but inspirational loss and infertility stories. Sisters in Loss has been featured in Black Enterprise, Women's Health, The Today Show, and NBC Universal. Erica is a member of the Moms, Voices, and Racial Disparity Committees of the Preeclampsia Foundation. She is a certified birth, bereavement, and postpartum doula, doula educator and mentor and mom to two babies in heaven and one rainbow baby, Maxwell, also known as Super Mighty Max. Erica is an alumni of Virginia Commonwealth University with a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering. I want to welcome Erica McAfee to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for consenting to be a part of the show. Um, we're just going to get started with what we've prepared for you guys in, for, in terms of content. But I want to ask you a few questions. First, in your opinion and within your scope of personal and professional experience, how have you seen infertility and pregnancy loss characterized within the Black community? Yes. So obviously, <laughs> you know, it's personal to me, but characterized as a whole, I feel like there has been a shift maybe over the last 15, maybe 15 to 20 years where it's being more talked about. It's being more mainstream in media and portrayed in te television shows and obviously sharing more news stories when, you know, good and bad things happen for celebrities or influencers of the like. But overall, you know, um, back to chattel slavery when when um, black enslaved women were were known and that was a, a thought of them being of value to be able to have and and produce multiple children. So that kind of carried over into modern time and a, a lot of black women think they're hyper fertile, you know, because of the fact that our in our ancestors, our great grandparents, great great grandparents, not that far from removed from the generation we're in, um, had nine, 10, 15 children, mm -hmm. and that could be, and that was a part of the culture, and that was ingrained in the culture. But during that time, a lot of enslaved Black women and just Black women in the modern time did experience infertility. They just not they just didn't talk about it. So right. now I feel like in the last. 15 to 20 years, it's been more talked about, obviously, over the last 40 years since IVF um, um, or in vitro fertilization has become um, about. Um, I, I really feel that we have shifted in the conversation to talk about, you know, and dispelling those myths that, you know, Black women aren't hyper fertile. You know, we can't just kiss somebody and get pregnant. <laughs> like, it takes time. And for some people, their journey is different. And and it's okay. 
that it may take people a little longer. Their path may be um, a little windy to get there to become a mother. And um, we have to continue to share those stories to normalize it, to let people know that that we aren't on this journey by ourselves, that we aren't alone, but, but that um, Black women are here and we do experience um, fertility concerns. And a lot of the concerns that we experience are because of being Black, you know, the term weathering, you know, because of all the systemic and historical racism that's built in, in the fabric of our country plays a role in how um, our bodies respond to the stress that happens in life as, you know, being double, having that double whammy, being Black and being a woman, right? So I think that that also plays a role in our fertility, the fertility challenges we have, and why some of the concerns or the underlying conditions are heightened for Black women, like endometriosis and, and uterine fibroids and polycystic ovarian syndrome, where they cause some form of infertility in us because of all the historical BS, <laughs> all the historical stuff that we have been through. So I love that the conversation has, has changed, um, but I still think that we have to go back to the historical context so people to really understand why we are the way we are and what we can do to break down those barriers and continue to share these stories and continue to make it accessible for us who may not be able to have a child in the traditional manner that we have the monetary resources to be able to get fertility treatments and have a different path to motherhood if we wanted to adopt or um, have a gestational carrier. Mm -hmm. And I really want to show those stories. And it's reason reason why I continue to share those stories with my platform and my podcast, Sisters in Loss, because I feel like um, we need to know that it's accessible for us, that we, um, for, for those of us who really want to become mothers, that there's not a right path to get there. And that path may not look like the traditional path, but we should not let finances and you know the barriers that are that are against us de um, deter us on that journey. So um, I I love the conversation and I love to continue to talk about why us as Black women have to continue to break down those barriers and continue to share our stories. Absolutely. And it's the power, right? And in the sharing, right? So it's empowering, it's inspiring others. And so that's so important. And that's why I completely am in love with your platform of getting that information out there to others. Um, so the so what we've learned and what I've learned actually in the literature is that African-American women are more likely to lose a baby in the first year than any other uh, woman of any other race. And scientists and doctors are now really starting to, you know, find that information and see that this is now a reason, there's a reason behind that. And you alluded to that, you know, as you were talking just a little while ago, um, that there's a real big consensus that racial discrimination experienced by Black mothers, our foremothers, um, during our lifetime makes it very likely that our caring of our babies are going to be affected. Number one, through preterm um, delivery. Uh, that's where we're seeing a lot of babies being lost in that way. And so the aspect of being able to say that this is something that we're doing to ourselves, our poor diet, our lack of resources, it has nothing to do with it. This has systemically been uh, weaved into our genetics. 
based on years and years and years and years, centuries of relentless physical, um, emotional abuse. Um, and so how have you witnessed racism impacting infertility and pregnancy loss? Absolutely. I believe it's um, being um, shown um, just in the initial care for communities of color, especially Absolutely. when we may, may know or may not know that we have underlying conditions. So when um, we show up at the OBGYN office or at a clinic or in the emergency room, responding to some concern that we have um, in our pregnancy, you know, it shows up and we're telling you we're in pain. We're telling you we, um, you know, are having issues or concerns or something in the back of our mind is just not sitting right. And we're being dismissed or we're being belittled or we're being told that we're not in pain when truly we are in pain and it causes a ripple effect on, you know, our bodies, our wounds, the baby we're carrying. And then on the flip side, when we, when, when we may experience a pregnancy loss, a miscarriage, you know, and have fertility challenges, you know, we aren't always explained in detail of exactly what happened, what occurred, what does this medical terminology actually means and um, how we can move forward with our journeys. It takes, it takes us you know, two and three times longer to be diagnosed with certain things or to get an answer for things that are unexplained. And, um, and it's, it has to do with the racial discrimination that, as you mentioned, and just how it's historically webbed into the fabric of healthcare. And a, a lot of it doesn't have to do with, you know, social economic status, you know, um, you know, where you live, <laughs> like, it, it, you know, you could be in a rural area in the city, you're still going to possibly get treated the same way if you're a black and brown birth in person. So what we have to do is really empower ourselves, empower our communities to really be informed about really what care looks like. What, what is a true care team that should be around us how they should be reacting to the things that we say um, that's not right with our bodies, um, even even you know prior to pregnancy, as you're going in for your annual every year and you're asking questions about the changes that are happening in your body, or if you have a heavier menstrual cycle than you normally should have, you know those are the questions and the dynamics that we aren't getting in healthcare, and I think that that is what ends up leading to a lot of these things that do happen. Yes, is miscarriage very common. Yes, we know that one in four women experience some form of loss, but do we have to, you know, do we have to experience those losses? And are we getting the care? Are we getting the preventative care like we should, where we're telling people, these are the things that you should be doing. These are the things that you should be eating and to have a healthy and well lifestyle versus on the flip side, you know, we're going through when you have a loss or you experience fertility challenge challenges, you're spending more money just to understand what's wrong with your body. When you've been going to the doctor this entire time, you know, once a year to get your physical or your annual and you're in there for, you know, less than an hour, depending on your doctor's office and you walk out with this clean bill of health, but really, truly the symptoms were already there. We just weren't addressing them. 
And that is, that is what ends up happening to our black and brown birthing people is that we knew all along, you had these symptoms since you started puberty, you know, you were having all these heavy menstrual cycles, or you weren't having a consistent cycle every month, or, you know, you had other underlying conditions. And then when you try to get pregnant and stay pregnant and bring a healthy baby home, um, all of these systems work against us. And it's, it's the reason why um, black mothers are dying, why black babies are dying within that first year, because the system is already stacked against us, even if we can advocate for ourselves. But I always try to preach to a lot of my clients, a lot of the listeners, is that we, we have to take control over it. Absolutely. We have to say and point and give our money to who is going to respect us, who's going to listen to us, yes, and who's going to ensure that the quality of our health is taken care of. And we can't, uh, we can't allow our doctors, our nurses, our healthcare providers to be the end-all be-all when it comes to our bodies. <laughs> we have to take mm-hmm. control over who we give access to it. And if we aren't giving, if they're not giving us, you know, warm and fuzzies, we don't feel like they're going to advocate for us in those rooms. They're not going to explain in detail what these, these medical terminologies actually mean and give us more details of exactly what happened and what occurred and what we could do to prevent it moving forward. Um, We failed ourselves. We need to Mm -hmm. figure out another path, switch that up find another doctor, find another a coach, another, another therapist, find someone else that you can trust and that you can really under, that really truly understands you, hears you and can give you the right path forward. And I think that that is what we have to do. And, and, and especially even just sharing on this, on this podcast as a community of birth workers, of people who are really out here on the front line, working with people one-on-one in our local communities, that is how we have the greater impact is by making sure people understand that they can say no and they can walk away and find someone who actually listens to them and trusts them and is going to be careful with their bodies and their babies and for their first you know year two years however many years of their lives we ended up having a person who came as a guest and was talking about self you know advocacy and determination self-determination and she mentioned that majority of us as you know healthcare consumers don't even really know what our problems are in order to be able to identify them and bring them to the attention of healthcare professionals so so how do we get to that point of identifying what our problem is, is we first have to come away from the idea that everyone else knows more about ourselves than ourselves, right? We have to come away from that idea that uh, because someone has a few letters behind their name and they're wearing a white coat and they went through so many years of school and residency that they have charge over us and they know more than we know about our own bodies. And so when we come to that understanding and we let go of that enslaved mentality of Massa is gonna tell me what I need to know about me, and we start holding true to what we feel internally, what we understand about ourselves, what we know to be true, when we feel that that you know sixth sense saying mm, something just ain't right, when we've been going through our childhood and we know we've missed period after period after period and we know something's not right, making noise, saying something to our parents, saying something to our guardians, saying something to our partners, saying something to our providers, our school teachers, 
our guidance counselors, our nursing uh, professionals in the school system. Someone needs to be able to advocate or give you some information on what to do next. And being able to say something about that is so important. So many women uh, walk through life, women birthing people who have menstrual cycles, menstrual cycle after menstrual cycle. One of the biggest hallmarks of not having a proper, you know, being able to have a pregnancy or have issues with fertility is number one PCOS, right? When you are going through your just your your puberty as a young girl and you are missing period month after month someone needs to be made aware of that. That is just not a freebie for you to get through, not get, having to deal with the, you know, the period, right, for that month. It is something that someone has to be made aware of because we need to fix that issue. And then we don't, healthcare providers need to just slap it with a birth control pill and keep it moving. We need to identify what's going on with each individual and treat it case by case. Um, and, and then we need to make sure that those individuals are well aware of the effects that that may have on their bodies as they are trying to conceive and produce and have a baby in the future and even lactate and, and breastfeed. That's another concern. And so there's so many pieces that we need to understand. But first and foremost, in order for us to be able to be out here advocating for ourselves, we have to first have that self-determination. We have to know without a doubt that we are in charge of us. And once we get that in our minds, then we can go out and self-advocate because part of being self-advocating is knowing your problem, being able to identify it. Um, and so that's so, so important. And, and just to correct that, it was um, LaChanda Marcel Moore. She was our last um, guest on our show and for episode one. And she mentioned knowing your problem. She sits um, on the um, liaison seat for one of the senators of New York. And one of the things that she identified of people who were coming to her, um, obviously, if you're coming to a senator, you're advocating for yourself. One of the issues or one of the things that she noticed was that they were able to describe their problem. And what I've noticed as a midwife is that most individuals who come and sit in front of me don't know what their problems are. It's really hard for them to describe it. So really start to take a mental note and inventory about your symptoms, what you're feeling, how you're feeling it, when it started. Go back in time and see, well, did I have a missed period back when I was a teenager? Or did I have regular periods? Or did I have really painful you know, periods when I was a teenager. Well, and I'll give you an example of myself. I had endometriosis um, and had a full, um, full hysterectomy in my 30s. I had endometriosis, polyps, and fibroids all in one. Um, and I had painful, painful menstrual cycles from the time I started my menses. And my family, we did all the root work and all of the, you know, the different things that my, my family from the Caribbean knew how to do. But we didn't know that there was a reason behind that. We didn't know that this was also something that was sort of threaded through the history of my family. I have other cousins and, and, um, that are in my mother's side of the family who had uh, hysterectomies also in their 30s for the same reason. We did not understand that. And so it's something that we need to start talking about as black birthing people, brown birthing people. We need to talk about this because this is not something that is a foreign idea that just came out of the blue. It is is very much weaved into our history. And they're going to tell you, oh, it's hereditary and all of that. No, this is not something that we came because our sisters and our cousins had it. This is this is basically racism physically manifesting. Absolutely. And to that, oh, I have, we have the same exact story. Every woman that I know in my family had hysterectomies in their 30s. 
um, because of fibroids, because of endometriosis, because of PCOS. And I thought it was normal. I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to get a hysterectomy too. I mean, granted, I ended up getting one, but that was another another um, concern. It was more of a, a life-saving issue. But I thought that was just normal because everyone, all of my cousins, all of my older aunts and, and this, and, you know, second and third cousins, all of them had hysterectomies. Mm -hmm. Like it was a normal thing, but it's not normal. It's, it's not, not normal, normal at all. Um, but also to that, for a lot of women, it, a wake up call for them to really understand and identify the problems is to have a loss or experience right. a first term, a first trimester miscarriage where they're like, oh my gosh, what ended up, why did I lose this baby? And that sometimes is the light bulb, unfortunately, for people to figure out exactly how to address the, you know, the problem that's going on or just go down the road of really having that self-determination to really understand their body and what's happening in their body so that they can move forward with their journey to become parents. Um, so I'm happy that you mentioned that. I love, I love that self-advocacy <laughs> and determination. And I think that we all have it in us. I think that certain things have to um, light that fire under us so that we can say, hey, no, we're not going to have this happen again. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do to change what I'm doing um, and how I'm approaching this situation to make it manifest to be the way I want it to be? And, and ultimately, that has become a mother for many of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a conversation with an individual a few weeks ago that we were uh, talking about infertility and some of the issues that are face we're facing as black birthing people. And um, one of the things she mentioned was she asked me a question, you know, I guess being I'm a, prof a healthcare professional. And her question was basically, do you think that if we were um, sort of educated to birth and have babies in our 20s or younger, would we see less uh, infertility and pregnancy loss? And I had to sit with that question for a moment. And I thought, you know, I don't know that that's, that's, you know, that's a hard question to answer because we really don't have a lot of stats on that. I think we're seeing what we're seeing is it's full circle. It's, it's no matter what age we're seeing in our twenties, we're seeing in our thirties, we're seeing it in our forties. But then she, she made me, she said, well, what about our grandparents? Like if, you know, if you go back to our grandparents and our grandparents before that, we do see larger families, right? We see, we see larger dy uh, family dynamics. We see mothers having six, 10, 12 children. And a lot of them birthing at home, a lot of them birthing under normal circumstances. Some here and there might have had to be born in a hospital or had some high risk situations. But for the majority of them, it's seemingly that they did not have so many issues with infertility. So it made me start to think, well, what is going on now that we see such higher numbers of infertility, such higher numbers of infant loss, such higher numbers of pregnancy loss? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, I have a few ideas. So um, I love that y'all had that conversation. I think that overall, yes, it does seem that way. Like, yeah, our, our grandparents and great grandparents had all these large families. But I also, if we dig a little deeper and what I did not know until I had experienced my losses, I had two losses one at 39 weeks, you know, full term birth and delivery. Actually, that's a picture of him. I actually will show you. This yes, is a picture bring it up. of him. Oh, a picture of him. Baby. If you all are watching, um, I have a picture of him um, um, here, and you know he was six pounds. He was full term baby. He was okay. stillborn. Um, he born born moving, and and he just did not take his first breaths. 
um, um, outside of the womb. And then I had another loss at 18 weeks. So, but after those losses, um, my grand, my, my mater, um, paternal grandmother who birthed eight living children, I did not know she had losses in between all those kids. You so, know. <laughs> see, so we, I think that- right. My grandmother, you know, after I lost my, my son, um, Brandon Jr., who, which is picture here, um, she came to me and she said, you know, I lost my first son too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, your first son, mm-hmm. you know, she did have another son after that. My uncle is, uh, is, was the first, first live child, born child, living child, but she had another loss and she really hadn't dealt with that loss mm-hmm. until she saw me experience my loss. So I'm sitting at the feet of my grandmother as she's sharing, you know, how she experienced her own stillbirth and what she was feeling and how those feelings were coming up after I experienced mine. You know, I don't think I would have ever gotten that intimacy with my grandmother if I didn't go through what I had went through. And we wouldn't have shared that bond that we both have as grieving mothers, even though she went on to have eight more children, right? Right. So I do believe that a lot of our our ancestors who did birth large families did experience some form of infertility and loss. It's just that they didn't talk about it. It was very deep in what Mm -hmm. they were experiencing. I mean, you got to think about about back during those times. I granted, we have a lot going on now that we are dealing with um, and manifesting and, and, and from past histories of our ancestors. But I think that during those times, they probably experienced more losses as well because of all the things that they were weathering during those times. <laughs> we just didn't know about mm-hmm. it. So I think that that is, a, mm-hmm. that is the differences um, on actually um, reporting and actually sharing those stories about Absolutely. loss. And it's the reason why we need to continue, continue to share those stories. So I believe that um, our ancestors did have them. And then I also, obviously, age does play a, a factor into it. They were having children younger, you know, in mm-hmm. their teenage years. And that does play a factor into just how your body recovers, you know, having a baby right. in, your, in your teens versus in your thirties are, I mean, even 20 and 30 is different, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that does play a factor into it, right. but I believe it just wasn't talked about. It was, yeah, I mean, right. it's something culturally within our community where we keep things close to the chest and we don't share what happens outside of our homes, outside of our homes. And even amongst our families, like I said, it's so many stories manifested after I experienced my loss where my aunt experienced a twin loss. You know, I had cousins who experienced losses. It was just so normal, but no one talked about it. No one shared Mm -hmm. about their experiences. And I really truly believe that Ultimately, when it comes to us um, really engaging and, and talking about, you know, could that could that be just a sign of the times now? I think it's always been happening. We just didn't know about it. We didn't have the the data to report on it, and we just didn't have the no different than uh, many of us who who came from who are born here or fam- mm-hmm. families are from the Caribbean, like you, yours are. Yeah. We don't know where our ancestors came from, Absolutely. and it's just we don't have that paper trail 
to dictate it. Obviously we can do DNA tests and all that kind of stuff nowadays, but we still don't have that data to say, hey, you know, how many kids did my, my mother and my grandmother and my great grandmother really did have? Mm -hmm. um, were they live births or, you know, mm -hmm. did a baby pass away? And we don't know the, that information. So I think mm -hmm. that um, it's relative on on the storytelling, but I'm giving you kind of my personal experience on <laughs> sharing that, you know, grandmas don't tell. They, they just, don't tell. And it's, it's ironic. Yes. It's ironic that you said that because I recently found out that my grandmothers on both sides um, had um, third trimester losses, um, infant losses within the first year of their lives and multiple miscarriages, but each of them um, had six children apiece. So it, you're absolutely right. And that just goes into the whole idea that, you know, that being silent was really forced upon us during, po you know, the slavery times, of course, post-slavery, especially when we had to deal with, you know, Jim Crow and all of the systemic racism that was built into America, you just kept quiet. Because if you, if you kept quiet, you, you could potentially walk away with your life. You could potentially walk away not being harassed. Um, you could potentially walk away protecting your family. And so you you kept silent. And, you know, and then there was the other idea of, you know, it's God's plan that was also etched in our, uh, the, the fabric of the Black, uh, you know, American experience. You know, you don't tell your business. We don't tell people our business, you know. Um, and so those are things that um, have been sort of passed down generationally amongst us. And we don't even really understand why we sweep things under the, under the rug, why we have the tendency of not talking about things. Um, and so it, it's so true that that silent um, you know, syndrome, right? They call it the post-slavery silence syndrome. That syndrome has affected so many aspects of the black human condition. Uh, in America, we just don't talk about things that affect us. And this is where we go back into the idea of not being able to describe our problems. Exactly, exactly. Because ultimately back then, our, you know, my grandmother may have had some form of fibroids. You know, I mentioned that my all my aunts and stuff on that side of the family all had hysterectomies, right? They may have had PCOS. They may have had some form of endometriosis or polyps or cysts or something that was causing my grandmother due to the, the stress that she was under, but also her kids, her daughters that had, you know, and even, you know, my cousins from, from that all have had issues with their reproductive system. So I believe that it is something that we carry with us, um, the, the stress that we have. And it's something that we know um, systemically that we have the power to combat and, and do things to prevent in the future, moving forward with our next generation that's coming under us. Absolutely. Um, we reach back and say, hey, you know, that's not right. Um, but also to your point as well, I don't think that our, our, some of our parents or even grandparents had the language to say mm -hmm. that this, that something is wrong. Right. So even if I had a period that only came on every couple months, you know, I don't know if our parents had the language to say, Hey, let's go get this checked out. Something may be wrong. Or they may have been like, Oh, you're lucky that you don't have one. You know, how many times right. have you heard that as well? Like, mm -hmm. Oh, you're good. You you're good. You don't have one. Oh, you're playing sports. Maybe it's just because you're playing sports and you you're doing a lot of extracurriculars and exercise exercise. And that may be an issue mm -hmm. versus addressing the actual problem. So Absolutely. Um, I love, I love that we brought that up in this conversation. Yes, for sure. Yeah.
Voice Messages is designed to give listeners a way to offer spoken feedback directly to me, your host. You are important to me, and your concerns and questions are too. So I want to hear from you. Click the link in the show profile and record a voice message for up to one minute. Then click send this message and your question or comment may be featured in an upcoming show. It's that simple. Are you enjoying the podcast? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. The Savvy Black Birther Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. You may support the podcast directly by clicking the link at the end of the show notes. Your support helps me to keep bringing you real, relevant, and relatable content. Thank you so much for supporting this work. Now, back to the show. I think it's so important to also look at the mental health piece that goes along with the multiple losses over time. Um, and, and not even over time, it could just be one loss experience that will affect the mental health of the individual, the family unit. Um, it's so important. So where are you seeing mental health being tagged to infertility and pregnancy loss? Is it something that um, is prevalent in the black and brown community? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think mental health has been a buzzword m- mainly over this last maybe four or five years, and I I believe it has always been there. At you know, especially as we've had more um, more people um, who have come and started to go back into their communities, become social workers, become licensed mental health professionals, and actually going back and giving back in that manner to address some of the issues, whether it's from abuse, you know, to, um, you know, all kinds of abuse from substance abuse, sexual abuse, you know, child abuse, all of the abuses to now focusing on um, maternal mental health conditions, whether it could be, you know, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, like, you know, postpartum depression, um, to focusing specifically on pregnancy and infant loss and infertility. And what does that look like as a form of PTSD or post-traumatic stress um, disorder? So I believe that a lot of therapists are being tagged to specialize in it because they know that there's a need in their community to reach out to those individuals who may be experiencing some form of grief from their miscarriage or their infant loss or they're just battling the ups and downs of infertility where you need someone to talk to as you're navigating, you know, do I spend this $30,000 on this treatment that I may not get a baby out afterwards, you know? Mm -hmm. And they need to have that sounding board, that unbiased opinion of someone who truly understands what they're going through and then helping them give them the tools as they navigate the journey because the journey through loss or doing during a pregnancy after loss or their journey through infertility and finding out you know all of these different dynamics have you have to have a strong um support system and especially having some form of a therapist or a counselor that can guide you through it to make you, to help you get to that other side. But I believe it's it's becoming more mainstream now to really talk about it. A lot of our, I guess a lot of the, um, you know, we have a lot of celebrities talking about mental health. We also have, I um, mean, you know, great podcasts like Therapy for Black Girls and Minding My Black Business, where they just talk about, you know, mental health 
as a whole. And I think that that has helped put it out in a little bit more of a forefront um, that, you know, Black women do need to talk to a therapist and we do need to have someone to talk to just, just because we're Black and we're women. Absolutely. <laughs> let alone, yeah, let alone. alone all of the other stressors that we have going on in our lives. So um, I love the conversations around um, maternal mental health because I believe that a lot of people don't realize that a lot of women can experience depression in pregnancy. It's not just postpartum, right? You can mm -hmm. have you know, perinatal depression and you can have issues postpartum that people just don't know what to look out for. And unfortunately, you know, when we do go into, and even in COVID-19, it's making, it's making it even shorter in the time frame. A lot of our um, clinicians, a lot of our OBGYNs are able to see clients and be able to, you know, give them a formal diagnosis, it's even more critical now where I feel like as COVID-19, we're still in this pandemic, we are all in some form of collective grief and trauma. Like we don't know what COVID-19 is gonna do to all of our mental health mm -hmm. um, because we're still in it right now. You know, we'll see the results of this years from now, but, I, I, but we all need to have that sounding board. We all need to have someone that we can trust, that we can talk to, that can help us navigate the different transitions in life. And I think that we all are going through that right now um, um, as we are navigating 2021 with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think we, we also, as a black and brown community need to learn how to let go of what we've learned. Some of the things that we've learned that we've hold fixed our minds to, you know, that handicap us, you know, mm -hmm. certain things that we've learned are just that myths. Some of them are things that don't make sense that were taught to us just so that we can be the good person, the, you know, the good citizen, the person who does what we're told. And so we have to learn how to let those things go in order to be able to go out and be self-advocates to learn that it's okay to speak to a mental health provider. Um, that is such a taboo that you're going to a therapist. Like how many, you know, Black families are like, oh, I, you know, I don't need to do that. That's not what I do, you know? And so we just need to learn that we have to let go of some of those taboos and let go of some of those myths. Um, and so just to go back to the, the isolation of this loss and infertility and pregnancy loss, not only is it isolating, which then affects the mental health, but it's also compounded by the many barriers that of support and treatment. What are we seeing for black people and brown people specifically when it comes down to treatment for infertility and pregnancy loss? Yes. So for, um, for infertility and pregnancy loss, the treatment is the access to care is extremely critical. And what we've seen is that finances play a huge role in yes. understanding. I mean, it's really the number one factor and the reason why a lot of, a lot of birthing people don't move forward with their journey to parenthood because of finances. And it could be just as simple as getting an additional test at the at your your traditional OBGYN office um, versus you know spending thousands of dollars to do you know additional treatments at a fertility clinic once you understand exactly 
what your formal diagnosis of infertility is. And what I found is a lot of the birthing people, you know, that I've interviewed for my podcast who have, who are considered unexplained, where they don't have a formal diagnosis, they spend three and four times more money just to figure out what's wrong with them, what's wrong with their partners. Because infertility is not just a a birthing person thing. It could be a partner's thing as well, right? And uh, what they end up, they end up going around about to to a point where, you know, they are spending their life savings. And we know what generational wealth and the gaps that that's already in the black community. So when you go into fertility clinics or you go into any place like that um, and you see all the babies on the wall, there typically aren't black babies because black people just don't have 30 and 40 and $50,000 sitting in a bank account as discretionary income that they can spend on a fertility treatment. So um, access to care and actually the finances to do it is a huge barrier for a lot of people in order to do so. So there are so many organizations that are out there that are helping out with um, doing grants on treatment, um, whether that's adoption, whether that's going through IVF or having mm-hmm. a round of um, IUIs. So there's um, there is there is money out there for it. It's just you have to really do your research and find what are those organizations that um, are doing grants and do I meet these qualifications of what infertility is to apply for those grants and those opportunities Mm -hmm. to be able to access that care. Another option that I always preach on my podcast for people because we have we want to be self-determined we want to be advocates for ourselves is that um, Starbucks offers 100% paid free um, for any fertility treatments if you are a part-time worker so you have to um, maybe I want to say for um, you 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 work for you know three months however many hours that is part-time and after that three months you get healthcare coverage that covers fertility treatment 100%. So a lot of my, a lot of the, the ladies who I've interviewed for the podcast have done that. They have gone and, and they worked at Starbucks and their husbands worked at Starbucks and they both just split their time working part-time on the weekends and after work and that's covered their fertility treatment. So they didn't have mm-hmm. to come out of pocket to pay for fertility treatment. So if there is a will and there's a way and you are determined yeah. to become a parent, you will find a way to do so. Mm-hmm. But I, I want us to know that we can do this, right? It's not, it, yes, yes, we may not have that money sitting in the bank right now, but there are options out there for us to become parents. So don't let that, don't let the, you know, what the doctors may say, what the diagnosis may be, cancel out your determination to become a parent because there is money out there for you to do so. You just have to be a little bit tenacious, do your Googles and find that money and apply for all those opportunities that are out there. Absolutely. And you just have to also, to tag on that, be savvy and and know how to navigate the system. Know your benefit plans in and out, know supplemental plans, you know, add additional plans if necessary, figure things out. If your spouse is working at one job and gets this particular plan, you go ahead and you get a secondary insurance that's going to help to balance what what your needs are. It's so important to be savvy in that kind of thing and then know what, how to navigate the system. And then also, 
when you're dealing with insurance companies, a lot of times you can call and advocate for yourself to get the things that you need as well. So that's another, you know, another piece. It's easier just to say, you know, for a lot of insurance companies, is to make sure if doctors won't cover something, you know, they note it in your in your medical records. And nine times out of 10, the insurance company may come back and cover it. There are a lot of tests that a lot of people do for recurrent pregnancy losses or for miscarriages that can be done at the OBGYN office, you know, blood pools, all the basic stuff that's maybe covered under your general insurance. And that information can be taken to a fertility clinic. So you're not paying the additional out-of-pocket expenses to go to the fertility clinic and whatever that supplemental fee, that lab fee is, mm-hmm. because you you got that that information done and those tests done at your OBGYN office. So yes, you have to be savvy. You have to really get really um call and and be relentless. Like you you if you you truly want this, you will do what it takes to get it. And don't give up. I think that that is the biggest thing that ends up happening. A lot of people give up hope, but don't give up hope. Hold on to it. Absolutely. Um, one other thing that we haven't mentioned so far is another type of pregnancy loss, and that's abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, we don't include that when we talk about pregnancy loss. And and those individuals who are choosing to have an abortion, it's their right. They go in, they have an abortion for whatever reason. Again, it's their business, how why they're doing it and why they need to do it. But nonetheless, there's a loss that, that ha- has occurred. And so I think that there, that is such an isolating part, right? There's a taboo again, uh, uh, over that, right? That the person, you know, you did it to yourself or it's against religions or why would you go and do that? You know, there's so many beliefs around that and so many judgments around that. But nonetheless, it's still a loss. And it's an area that I think is un- uh, it's, it's definitely less talked about than all the other areas. So what have you seen um, in terms of the black and brown birthing community is specifically around the topic of abortion? Yes, I'm so happy you highlighted this one because obviously <laughs> it's, so, it's personal for me um, as I've had an abortion before as well. And um, I, um, two years ago, I decided to share my story on the podcast And I put out a call on my personal Facebook and was just like, you know, I wanted to um, highlight women who've had abortions and I really didn't want to talk about the reason why, right? Mm -hmm. You know, your right to choose is your choice. Right. I wanted to focus on is the healing and how the healing is so similar as a, a, a traditional pregnancy loss or miscarriage and really just highlight, you know, that is the terminology they use in the medical system anyways. They mm-hmm. call it a spontaneous abortion when you have a mm-hmm. miscarriage. Absolutely. It's the same procedure that's used. A DNC from, you know, when you have a miscarriage to when an abortion is pre- pre- done. So um, personally, I think that um, when I put that call out, do you know how many women dropped in my inbox? Just on my personal Facebook. I didn't even wow. put it out on social media. A willing to share their stories of abortion and healing and what that mm. looks like. Wow. I mean, I got hundreds of women just on my personal page. So that let me know that this is a part of the pregnancy and infant loss and infertility community. Abortion sits right there. And we need to make sure that we normalize that message as well and be willing to share those stories of how people have healed, how they grieve, how they overcome 
what abortion looks like and how they can move forward with um, their journeys to parenthood, especially if they still want to become mothers mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but we, 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 um, it's still very much so a stigma. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of women, when I started to post about, a, a post the stories on the podcast, I did a full month of abortion stories, including my own. And um, I got some negative feedback from it. Some women didn't like the fact that I was calling, you know, saying anything about abortion in reference to a loss, but it's still a loss. And I, and I try to get them to see it from a different perspective is that, you know, I'm not, you know, we're not focusing on people's right to choose. That's their, that's their journey. Right. Right. But the grief, the healing is the same. Let's normalize that part of the conversation. Right. Right. So I'm hoping that, you know, um, by talking more about abortion and talking about what the loss means to people and how they've healed and how they've overcome helps continue to normalize the conversation okay. as abortion is a part of pregnancy loss, um, just like all of the other different losses that we have. So mm -hmm. I, I feel, I personally feel like the conversation may have be, may be shifting, but it's still taboo. A lot of people still don't want to talk about it in the black and brown yeah. community. And to be honest with you, if you would go and survey um, a lot of black and brown birthing people, um, it's probably close to two out of four women have had an abortion. I wouldn't be a surprised. A lot of the women who've had an abortion are uh, married. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. married or partnered up in a long-term relationship. In a long-term relationship. I exactly. wouldn't be surprised. So, um, it is extremely common. It's probably more common than pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. We're about a one in four number. It's probably even, even, even smaller than that when it comes to abortion. So right. um, for even, I was surprised. I, you know, like I said, I put out one little call, one little post on Facebook and I got hundreds of my personal Facebook friends and associates in my inbox wanting to share their story. It was wow. overwhelming. So wow. that lets me know that mm -hmm. we have to have a safe place for people to share these stories mm -hmm. so that no different than other kinds of loss that they don't remain silent about it, that we normalize the conversation of what grief and healing in loss looks like, even with mm -hmm. abortion. Right. I mean, people don't go around and say, well, let me get pregnant so I can go down the street and get abortion. Absolutely. I mean, that's just the, the simple facts, right? So whatever the reason why they've chosen abortion, there's a, there's grief behind that. Absolutely. There's, there's loss behind that. There's, there's a lot of times guilt behind that and guilt can sometimes eat people up even worse for, for years, for like, years right and handicap them from healing mm -hmm. right so there's so many so many things that uh are centered around um abortion that we need to learn how to let go of the other piece is the physical piece and i don't even want to spend a whole lot of time on that but when we when we uh as healthcare consumers enter an abortion um setting right a clinic or a doctor's office or wherever we're going we're not fully informed when we walk into those spaces either about the outcomes, the, the, the potential physical um, outcomes that happen to our wombs, uh, the potential, like, I just, you know, I know so many incomplete abortions, right? Where the abortions don't happen completely. And now we have all of this trauma to the womb, having to go back into the womb a second time to complete the abortion, um, the, the over, zealous abortions that are happening. There's so many different pieces, right, to this that 
create this continued stigma around it. It's the physical experience, right? The trauma that's held in the body from that experience. A lot of times people are experiencing this alone. Um, and and then, the, then there's the mental health piece that's uh, attached to it. So it's just the same as any other pregnancy loss because you're experiencing it physically and mentally and certainly um, all of the pieces that make you a human being. So we, we need to definitely not continue to downplay this or no. categorize it as something else because it was a choice. Nope. Let me tell you something. This, <laughs> I was happening, this was happening way back when, when there wasn't an abortion clinic, okay? Absolutely. People and were going to the house down the street. Absolutely. And I think that that's the, I mean, even we talk about access to care. I mean, we, our wombs and uteruses are, are always on the chopping block when it comes to legislature and in certain states and they'll alone within our country. So a lot of states still may only still have one abortion clinic. So a lot of women are doing this, um, you know, underground and doing all the craziness just mm -hmm. to have the right to, um, you know, have autonomy over their body and the choice that they right. make with their body. Right. And, and everything that you said is true about making sure that we continue this conversation around abortion and, and not put it to the side. It right. needs to be a part of the whole conversation around loss. Around loss, period. It is so important. So, you know, in closing, tell me, what do you have in terms of any golden nuggets? We've said so many amazing and powerful things for the listeners, but is there anything else that you would like to drop, you know, and say so that it can empower or uplift anything you want to say to the listeners? It would be wonderful <laughs> to hear a little <laughs> bit more from you. <laughs> well, I obviously, you know, um, as a birth worker myself, you know, as someone who's experienced loss and fertility, that um, abortion, you know, we're talking all about it is that, you know, I want to make sure that your listeners really understand that um, through all of this advocacy is so important. We, we talked about, you know, advocacy, we talked about self-determination. Um, we talked about really knowing our bodies and um, taking control over our bodies, our health, our wellness. And that may look differently for each of us on where our journeys are, especially if we want to become parents, if we want to come become mothers, if we want to reach out and continue to help people to do this, to do this work. Um, this work is not for the faint at heart. So, um, you know, I want people to know that they have to hold on to hope that they have the opportunity um, to become parents one day. Um, and it may not look like the path that they had expected to. It may look different. Um, it may look like, um, you know, going to the foster care system and doing a foster to adopt to become a mother or a parent. It may look like, you know, going the route of, you know, spending money on a donor egg or having donor sperm in order to become parents. It's, it's, it just may look different and that's okay. But to be open and willing to do the work, whether that's the research, really finding um, opportunities with organizations that may be able to help guide you and lead you in those directions to get to your, to your journey. Um, but don't give up, don't give up on it. And don't allow um, this weathering, the systemic racism that, that's happening to deter us. We have always been a determined people. <laughs> resilient people. know how to make a way out of no way. Yes, ma'am. I want us to continue to do so 
even more so now. We know what the statistics are showing. We've known what they've seen. We've seen the, the numbers come out about um, black, um, black maternal health and black infant um, mortality and morbidity um, as, as well as maternal mortality and morbidity. And we know how birth workers, we know how having a caring support team um, of a doctor, you know, a, of a, and that may look like your OBGYN, they may look like an endocrinologist, that may look like a fertility specialist or a um, perinatologist. It may look like multiple people being a part of your team, but do not forget about your midwives and your doulas. Add, make sure that you add those people as well to your birthing team, to your care team, so that you can have a successful pregnancy, that you can truly bring your baby home, especially if you experience loss or infertility, that you get one of those to be a part of your, your community um, and, and make sure that you really focus on your mental health throughout that journey. So that is my little tidbit. Thank you. It was a good, a good, good tidbit. <laughs> I appreciate you. And I thank you so much for all of the, that you have said and, and the ability to say it so eloquently and with grace and finesse, but also the, the work that you're doing over as Sisters in Loss. It's so important that we keep talking about what's going on, that we keep making people aware that for generations to come, that our voice gets louder and that our voice gets stronger um, as we continue to live in this country. You know, we need to make sure that our presence is not forgotten, that our presence is definitely marked and evident and that we are continue to be resilient people, but we become a people that is resourceful, more resourceful than we ever have been. And that we learn how to take care of our own business, that we learn that we have enough strength, enough wealth, enough fortitude enough resources within our own community to make sure that we elevate ourselves above you know where we are so it's so important that we do that but I thank you so much for your work with sisters in loss um if you guys have not heard the podcast go over and check out the podcast all of the links will be in the show notes so you can um follow Erica and all of the work wonderful work that she is doing Thank you so much for having me. This is such a great conversation. You know, yes, I, I'm excited I talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Savvy Black Birther. Make sure to visit my website, Sakina Health, where you can find evidence-based information, resources, and more. You can also follow me on Instagram at Sakina underscore health. That's S-A-K-I-N-A. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd appreciate a rating or review. And don't forget to tell that good friend so that this content can reach many more Black birthing families. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in for the next episode. Be informed, be equipped, and be savvy Black birthers.